0: Welcome. I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I'm a native of Newark, New Jersey, and each week I'll be interviewing artists, historians, authors, and other cultural thought leaders to discuss the cultural impact and influence that Newark has had and continues to have on their lives and work. Welcome, Ernest Dickerson.
1: Thank you. So happy to be here. Glad to see you again.
0: Absolutely. Let me tell the audience a little bit about you. Ernest Dickerson is an American director, cinematographer, and screenwriter of film, television, and music videos. Ernest was born in Newark, New Jersey. He attended Howard University in Washington, DC, where he earned a degree in architecture. He also took a film class with Hallie Jarima, as he already was interested in movies. He later relocated to New York City to attend New York University's film school at the Tisch School of the Arts, where he met fellow student Spike Lee. His first feature film as director of photography was also Lee's first film, Joe's Bed-Stuy Barbershop, We Cut Heads, it was in 1983. Filmed while both of them were still students, Ernest went on to work with Lee on other films that included School Days and Malcolm X. As a director, he is known for action and horror films such as Juice, Demon Night, Bulletproof, Bones, and Never Die Alone. He also directed several episodes of acclaimed television series, including Once Upon a Time, The Wire, Dexter, The Walking Dead, and Godfather of Harlem. So again, Ernest, welcome. You're joining us from Cape Town, South Africa.
1: Um, I'm directing the first two episodes of the second season of Raised by Wolves. It's a science fiction show. That's produced by Ridley Scott's company. And um, <clears throat> when the producer called me and asked me to do it, um, you know, he told me it's going to take place on an entirely different part of the planet than the first season. And so it's a chance to like really redesign the look of the show mm-hmm. um, in a, in a, in a totally new alien landscape and shooting in, around Cape town, South Africa. And that was, you know, I I couldn't resist it. You know, the, the opportunity to design a world, you know, and, and, and a culture, you know, futuristic culture, uh, is, you know, was, you know, I I couldn't resist it. So here I am.
0: Fantastic. And, um, are you, you working with local talent?
1: A lot of the talent here is local. Yeah. They, uh, Uh, the construction crews, mostly, uh, uh, young brothers and sisters from, from here. Um, a lot of the senior members are from England. Uh, most of them are, you know, pretty much all of them are white, but the thing is, is that they've been hiring, uh, black assistants, you know, because one of the things they want to try and do is, is, is train folks. So, uh. Uh, my wife is here as my assistant, but I also have another young brother who's my assistant. The executive producer here has a young sister who's a, a film student, who's his assistant, who's involved in everything. And um, uh, what's really cool is that I'm directing the first two episodes and another brother is going to direct the next two episodes. It's an eight episode season. So half this season is going to be directed by uh, by black directors. Um, Um, So the the next director is a brother named Suno Gonera, who's originally from Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. And um, he lived in the States for a while, you know, um, but he came back here because he was having a hard time. He directed a movie called uh, Pride, which was about a black swim team. Oh, right. I remember that. And he also directed some episodes of uh, Snowfall for John Singleton.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So, but beautiful brother and glad to see him see him do it and um, the cast is mixed, you know, the two leads, you know, mother is white and father is black. So, you know, um, it's, it's interesting.
0: Great, great. Now, it's you, you brought up something again about, we, we talked about using local talent. You've been in um, this industry for, for a decent amount of time with uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, have you um, noticed um, or, or experience a bigger um, interest in bringing more people of color uh, into the industry? Is that something that has been just sort of naturally happening or?
1: Well, we'll, I think we're waiting to see. I mean, you know, when Black Lives Matter really impacted in the U.S., uh, COVID was um, was in full effect and the film industry had really slowed down quite a bit. But. I am seeing, you know, an inc- an, uh, an increased interest in Black subject matter, you know, because of the success of, of some of the shows that have come out recently, you know, like Watchmen and Lovecraft Country. Um, but there, and, you know, I think that combined with what uh, Black Lives Matter taught so many people in the United States and around the world about what Black folks have been going through for so long. Uh, now. Um, We're seeing, you know, more and more black projects. I'm I'm actually, I'm actually seeing increased competition from other from other black filmmakers. You know, so uh, and uh, and young black women. Uh, There was a a movie that I was, you know, uh, semi attached to. Looked like I was going to do it, but then they decided to go with a sister, which is cool. You know, so um, um, so that's happening, and that's good to see. But you know, the world success of Black Panther, I think, really. You know, really hipped people to something I've been pushing for for so long that, you know, um, uh, you know, so much of the material about us has been rooted in the past. You know about um, you know what we've suffered in the past. Now we're starting to see projects that are talking about the future, black to the future, Great. and um, Afro Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. which is something I an idea I grew up with, you know, which I had been trying to sell for years and people didn't understand it. Now everybody gets it. Now everybody's trying to do Afrofuturist stuff. So I think with streaming projects, you know, with Netflix and 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 Amazon and all these different areas where um, they're dealing with more chancy material, you know, where if it was a theatrical thing, it probably would not get done.
0: Right. Right. It's interesting you mentioned Afrofuturism, because I think of one of your earlier films, Brother from Another Planet. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was this idea of us not being, um, you know, based here, but the idea that someone from another planet might be a black guy
1: that people of color could exist elsewhere in the universe. Right. Right. Um which 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 makes sense, you know. Um and actually that was my first professional job. Okay. With, with John Sales. Um and um and he, you know, he used it as an allegory for um you know, for race in America, but um uh you know, that was uh, that was a great project, you know. It was um yeah. <laughs> you know, he wrote it, you know, beautifully. Um and for my first as an independent film, you know, it was, uh, it was, an, uh, it was a great experience, you oh, know?
0: Yeah, it was one of my favorites. Um, yes. So how is working in South Africa different from any of the other locations that you filmed or directed in?
1: Well, some of these locations are, um, they're pretty rough areas. You know, we're, we're shooting in some remote locations. Mm-hmm. Some of them are hard to get to. Um, it's a hike to get to some of these places. Um, since this is a, a a world that's unsettled, a lot of the locations we're shooting in are uh, rough, you know, rocky. Um, uh, so you know, you have to be really careful where you step. You know, we're shooting on on uh, some of the seashores, you know, some of the rocks. Um, and, you know, you have to be careful where you are there. Uh, very uneven ground, but beautiful landscapes. I mean, um, and I'm blown away every morning driving to work, seeing the mountains, the mountains here, you know. Um, growing up in Newark, New Jersey, mountains is a new thing for me, you know. Growing up, I didn't see a mountain until, until I moved to California, you know. And I was, what, in my 40s when I moved to California, you know. So it's... Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, but now, you know, you see these beautiful, beautiful landscapes, these mountains that are crowned by clouds. And, you know, you get, I'm I'm taking so many photographs because the landscapes are gorgeous. I can see why they wanted to shoot here because, um, you know, sometimes you look at the top of the mountain and you see the clouds move as if it's like live time-lapse, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and just some some really, really beautiful areas. So it's, um, you know, since we're shooting in a, it's supposed to be an unexplored territory, <clears throat> everything's supposed to look, you know, brand new and virgin. Um, we're taking what's there, but the art department, I mean, the construction on the show is huge because they're building alien plant life, mm-hmm. alien trees that we're going to put into some of these desert areas. Mm-hmm. And visual effects is going to, do a lot of other stuff so um so it's pretty big
0: so is this the most challenging uh location that you've shot in in your career
1: uh, yeah i guess so i mean I, i'm not allowing myself to feel that way you know but it's definitely the most design intensive show i've ever done mm-hmm. uh because i've been you know it's now march and I've been involved in the, in the design on this since uh, November uh, when I first got the job. You know, until we came out here in February, um, I was doing a lot of Zoom calls. But every morning I would wake up, you know, because of the time difference, uh, because it's morning there, but it's nighttime here. And, you know, I'd wake up and I'd get, I'd get all these emails uh, from the art department that was here, you know, doing conceptual art. And so we had a lot of conceptual drawings that were coming down the pike, designs of of craft, designs of of living structures, designs of building, designs of costumes, um, uh, selection of different areas where we could shoot, some of which, you know, uh, were beautiful, but almost impossible to get to. We have one location that you can only access by helicopter. So... That kind of, that, you know, I'd never had that challenge before. Walking Dead used to be the most challenging show because of shooting in Georgia woods in the summertime with the heat and humidity. Now this is an entirely different animal.
0: Great, great. So you uh, that was gonna be my next question about as director, how do you add to the look of the world that you direct? So you mentioned working with the um, scene crew the guys who are crafting the um, the different sets. Um, mm-hmm. How much of your um, say so changes that or enhances?
1: The well, way- quite a bit. You know, I mean, you know, it's been um, um, you know they ask me. I mean, I've been involved in all of it, you know, and asking for suggestions, you know, um, as you know things like the color of the landscape start locking in, you know, and start working up or what are the colors of the structures of the costumes that can work in that color of the landscape. Um, uh, the visual effects shot, since I am storyboarding everything, you know, uh, the way I want to shoot it, um, I'm also visualizing the, the, uh, the visual effects sequences. So I'll do stuff and I'll get Feedback saying, "Okay, we can do this," or so they'll say, "No, that's too expensive. We can't do that." <laughs> you know, so I got to rethink it and 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 reconceptualize. I'm uh, working on a sequence now uh, that involves things like um, a, an alien bird. You know, the in the script, it was the main one of the main characters grabs the alien bird. He's starving. He's surviving on his own in this in this environment. And he and he breaks its neck and he wants to drink its blood, you know, because he's starving and he's and he's thirsty. Um, but knowing that actually CGIing a, a, a living bird with flapping wings in his hand is going to be more expensive. I had to, you know redesign that sequence. So now it's like the alien bird sits on the sits on a rock, all of a sudden a, a, a stone comes, hits it in the head, it falls dead. And then the actor comes over and picks up a dead bird that we've planted there. You know, just little things like, you know, wings flapping on a CGI bird with a real actor in the same shot, mm-hmm. adds thousands and thousands of dollars to it.
0: Right, right.
1: So, you know, you kind of get stuff like that and say, well, we can't afford this. And, you know, so I got to redesign. Well, how about this? I say, okay, you can do that, you know, and this and and that. So there is a budget that we have to conform to. So, um, luckily, I started storyboarding this months ago. So I was able to get ahead of things. But, um, you know, we have uh, some big physical live effects too. Like uh, I have a cave that I have to flood with water with people in it. And I just saw the tests today and it's looking great, you know, but is big, <laughs> you know, it's big, but it's the kind of stuff I wanted to get into in the movies the, you know, get into movies for in the first place. You know,
0: okay. the um, can you share with us the budget uh, on this production? Are these
1: two? I don't know the actual budget. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, I know. I know the effects budget is like two million, mm-hmm. but it's um, but it's a big show. I mean, we're building um, we have. Two huge sets that are alien caves that are what used to be structures that were built, and actually the idea of, of the uh, that there was a previous civilization that actually grew their structures,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, but these cave sets are are huge, they're big, and we have a lot of stuff there, um, so the set design is huge. Um, we we have these uh, tanks that we built that um, are actually uh, these forestry machines that are supposed to pick up tr- uh, trees and, and pull them out by the roots, but we're using the actual structure of that. But we're building a bigger shell on top of that for this thing called a habitat,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then um, the wheels keep it lifted about two feet off the ground, and we'll CGI out the wheels, and it will look like a hovercraft.
0: Wow, interesting. Very cool.
1: You know, but we're gonna do that in real locations that have rocky areas. So we don't want it to be rocky. So some of those roads have to be paved, but I have to design my shots ahead of time so we know what to pave and what not to pave so it, it has a more smooth movement. So it's a lot of you know figuring out stuff before it actually gets built, you know, um, a lot of pre-visualization, which um, which you know actually, you know my 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 years in architecture at Howard really helped me to to do that. So so you know it all comes it all comes in in handy.
0: Great, great. You know, uh, when I think of your films, two words come to mind. Cool and fear. Fear. Cool, cool and fear. So very, okay. very opposite. Cool in the way you shot Malcolm X.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, fear in the way you directed Dexter and Walking Dead or Walking Dead. Uh, has Newark influenced your ability to set these different worlds, these different ideas of how something comes across
1: uh, it, it, it must have you know because all artists you know all people that you know work in, in, in creating you know they're affected by by growing up you know by things that 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 influenced them when they were younger um, you know I grew up in Newark I grew up on Somerset Street um, when it was still a a housing project. Um, I lived at 101 Somerset street apartment, one a, and, um, you know, we used to, you know, where we used to play, you know, a ruined fallen down house was a great playground for us. Um, whenever a sewer was opened, we used to call it the suey hole, <laughs> you know, the sewer hole, we used to call it the suey hole, but down in there it was, uh, was always uh, an, an, an adventure for us. Um, playing on the rooftops was always an adventure for us. So I think, you know, that probably has something to do with it. Plus the movies that I watched when I was a kid. Um, I grew up looking at a lot of uh, science fiction and horror films when I was much younger and, and still do, you know, uh, good ones if I can find them. But, you know, living in Newark was it was always something for me. I remember, you know, since I went to Catholic school, there were, you know, days where we had days off for Catholic holidays where the public schools did not. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I would go, I think there was Monmouth, Monmouth street school. I would go to Mammoth street school and I would like walk up the, uh, the fire escape and peek in to the kids still in class, you know, cause I didn't have nothing else to do, you know, but you know, I would, um, you know, I'd, I'd always find adventures, I think. You know, finding an adventure was always something that we used to do. And um, I guess in a
0: large city like Newark, you had so many different diverse kinds of, I mean, we had the parks. As you said, you had dense housing. You had, um, you know, pools.
1: And yeah. That- I mean, I was I was a latchkey kid. So, you know, I used to take the bus. Um you know, uh, I'd go to the museum. You know, Saturdays, Saturdays. Uh, some Saturdays, I, I had classes at the Newark Museum, and uh, also some Saturdays, I had. I would go to the YMCA because I was always on. You know, uh, swimming was a big thing for me when I was a kid. So I'd go to the Y and and swim. All my other friends would go play basketball, but I'd swim. You know, so for me, swimming was always a big thing. But, you know, um, even at the library, I mean, when I was younger, before I even started working there, uh, sometimes when my, when my mother had to work on Saturdays, my mother was a librarian. So when my mother had to work on Saturdays, she had to take me with her. And I would just wander. And I would go down to the underground stacks. You know, you remember those underground stacks, what? man? Those are yeah. Yeah. some pretty spooky places. I, I, exactly. You know? exactly. And... Um, and you know so i used to spend a lot of time you know doing that and um and plus you know my mother had me reading from an early age so i was i was reading uh, adventure stories science fiction stories uh, it actually got me in trouble in catholic school you know fifth grade i was you know i decided to read 1984 i was 10 years old reading 1984 and Sister Jean David said I was committing the sin of pride because I was reading a book that was above my station, you know, so, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. But Newark. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, I I swear to God, I still have dreams of Newark. Mm -hmm. I still sometimes dream of. You know. Somerset Street, you Mm -hmm. know, that that neighborhood, you know, uh, the Central Ward. You know, my cousins were up on. They had they lived in the projects up on Belmont Avenue, and I would just walk up there. You know, I mean, I never, I you know, I'd wander all over the place. I'd go up there, and, you know, walk, and never had to worry about it. You know, it was never anything. Never felt unsafe.
0: Exactly. That that brings me up to the next question: Have you ever used nork as a location
1: for any of your films? Not yet. I'm dying to though. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm dying to explore where Newark is because you know I mean um, I still have you know a lot of my family is there mm-hmm. um, my cousin's there my daughter lives in Somerset and with my granddaughter she and her husband uh, my my daughter and her husband live in Somerset and it's um, it's interesting because I think about uh, several years ago maybe it was around four or five years ago I was in Newark to see my cousins because they live in in and uh, South Orange, and I just drove to Newark through my old neighborhood, and it's all gone. Mm. I mean, nothing that I remember there—the Douglas Harrison apartments—they're all right. gone. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's
0: a lot of things gone, and a lot of things that are appearing, a lot
1: of buildings. Yeah, and- yeah. But I know, um, but yeah, I you know, I've always felt that Newark would be interesting as a location. I was I was happy to find out the Joker used Newark. Uh, for some of its filming. Okay. I think it was downtown Newark. Right. You know, Broad Market was a big part of my my experience, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I know that's completely changed.
0: That was sort of the center of the world,
1: right? Yeah, it was. Because, you know, when I was in high school, I lived uh, down off of Freeling Heisen Avenue in Seth Boyden Terrace. I take the bus and I and I change a Broad Market to the... Bus uh, in, um, you know, Essex Catholic High, you know, so and and usually in the evenings when we were um, in the afternoons after we were done in class, we would go down there. But before we all got on our buses, taking us to our respective homes, we would just hang out, you know, uh-huh. and yeah. and everything. So that's great. Great.
0: Great. Ernest, you grew up on the East Coast. Now you live on the worst West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> slip, <laughs> Freudian, yeah. West Coast. We'll have to edit that out. Uh, your craft takes you around the world. Tell me how time and place impact your filmmaking.
1: Well, you know, you know, travel um expands you. You know, I, I think everybody. I think it expands everybody. I think. Um, uh Just being able to see the, you know, a lot of the rest of the world. I mean, I haven't traveled as extensively as I would like to. I still plan to travel. I mean, this is my second time to Africa. I've been to China, you know. I've been to Hong Kong and Shanghai. Have not been to Japan yet, but Mm -hmm. I want to get there. You know, I've been to Budapest, been to Italy. I've been to England. you know, but it it it, it definitely uh, it definitely you know expands you. Um, but I honestly have to think that you know, <clears throat> my mother <clears throat> started me reading from an early age. Um, and it was my mom because my my dad died when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my mom. I think started me reading from an early age. She never. She always encouraged me to just, you know, um, always explore stuff. You know, she never tried to stop me from anything. I know when I, when I went into filmmaking, she, she told me she wish I had gone into medicine. But, hey, if that's what you want to do, go go into filmmaking. And mm-hmm. she was happy, especially when I was able to put her in a movie later on. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, being exposed to a lot of the rest of the world um, prepared me for when I finally got out here. And plus, um, a lot of the people that I knew, my uncle, my uncle Daoud, my mother's brother, um, who I can honestly say was probably resp- more responsible for a lot of the directions that I took in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a world traveler. And, you know, hearing his responses, his experiences, seeing his photographs, because he, he, you know, he was a man with a camera. He was... Uh, he helped me buy my first camera. He was the man who put a camera in my hands. Wow. Wow. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I think hearing his experiences and his travels helped prepare me for keeping an open mind and really looking forward to coming out and, and seeing what different worlds were like, you know? Um, Great. No boundaries. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, something that, that I'm instilling in my children, you know, that, um, you know, you should be able to go anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and wherever you want to go. I mean, my son, his wife is some is from Slovakia. So they go to Slovakia. He's like totally in with her parents and their friends in that area. And he's totally into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I, I think I've raised my children the same way that, you know, they can go someplace else and know how to Keep that open, that openness in experiencing another culture. Right. You know, and not be so not be closed-minded about it. You know, that you know the world is a wide open place.
0: Absolutely. Ernest, you filmed or directed almost every movie genre, pretty much, not all, but most many. Is there a genre you haven't filmed or directed yet that you would like to uh, pursue?
1: Um well, I want to do more science fiction. Okay. That's why I'm glad to do this show. Um, there are some uh, novels by African-American science fiction authors that I've been trying to adapt um, throughout throughout the years. I was attached to an adaptation of the of um, Octavia Butler novel, mm-hmm. um, which we were trying to get made, and but that didn't work. Now there's a a script that I have by uh, an African Canadian writer named Minister Faust. His pen his pen name is Minister Faust. Okay. Uh, that we're actively trying to get made. Um, so I think more that you know I'm really I'm. I was really getting tired of the of the slave narratives. You know, there were so many slave narratives that that were being made. Um, you know, we know that part of our history. Um, there is a project that I'm attached to that deals with that, but in a more positive way. You know, dealing with the Reconstruction and dealing with it as an action piece that's historically accurate you know so i'd rather see stuff that deals with that because that's what we need i think we need images to show that after all that's been done to us as a people how we've been able to like overcome and survive and 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 i and i say it again black to the future you know um i think um now there, there's more and more uh, science fiction, futuristic fiction, speculative fiction, that deal with uh, uh, characters of color. Right. That, you know, with, which have backgrounds, you know, you just, just imagine, just imagine a future world where maybe the major influence is not Western, but Eastern and Africa, you know, where it's China and Africa that are those. The design possibilities and something like that are enormous.
0: Yeah. A different lens. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah because that could be the way it goes. Um, uh, you know, especially if China is, as, you know, continues to be as ascendant as it is. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, you know, it's interesting being here in in, in Cape Town, the commercials. CNN here, you know they have African commercials. They have some Afrofuturistic commercials. Really, uh, there was a, there was a, uh, a, a show on today that was talking about a young sister, who's uh, what it, what it, she's involved in space. Uh, it's it's a political thing, space administration. Okay. How space is going to be administered and dealt with in in, in politics, and this was a young sister in her early twenties. Sure. Was, you know, hmm? was this
0: possibly coming out of Nigeria? Do you think?
1: It, no, she. Uh, I don't think she was. No, I don't think she was Nigerian. But there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out of Nigeria.
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: And and seeing young. You know, I remember seeing some young filmmakers, some young brothers and and sisters who, you know, with their cell phones, they learned green screen technology. So they've been able to do science fiction films. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, and that to me is 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 the kind of stuff that I love. I love seeing, you know, because, you know, we can do those kinds of films without relying upon hundreds hundreds of million dollar budgets, you know, and that's one of the things that I've always been. Really trying to push the fact that, you know, science fiction doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a hundred million dollar budget.
0: Exactly. So, Ernest, the last question. What's your dream project?
1: Uh, Right now, it's Coyote Kings. Okay. Which is the the, uh, project by uh, Minister Faust. We have a screenplay. Uh, We were, I've had it for several years. I co-wrote it with the, with the brother who's lives who up in Edmonton, Canada, um, and uh, that's what I was saying. You know, years ago when I was trying to sell it and people didn't get it.
0: So, what's the premise? What's the premise of
1: the movie? The best way to describe it: Imagine um, Atlanta mm-hmm. meets Raiders of the Lost Star. Okay. <laughs> with a little bit of Maltese Falcon thrown in,
0: <laughs> okay, a couple know, different it's, genres, sort of a mashup. <laughs>
1: it's um uh, well, it's actually um it's actually a, a cult novel. It was it was nominated for a Philip K. Dick Award. It came out in the late nineties. Okay, uh, Minister Faust is a is a uh, a video activist and uh, online um, uh, activist, and he was a, a media personality up there. And it's a it's a cool book. it's uh, I, he asked me to do a blurb for it and I said, yo, it's like reading it's like reading Ishmael Reed meets Harlan Ellison you yeah. know because writing is, nice. is so there. and I found it by accident when I was shooting a, a show in Canada and I was just looking for something to do in between you know shooting I found this book and I could not put it down. I contacted him. And uh, he knew who I was, and we've remained friends all these years. And trying to get it made, but everybody was like Afro-future, I don't. What is this Afrofuturism stuff? Now, mm-hmm. after Black Panther, everybody wants something like that.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So that. So that's my dream project right now. Great. Great. Well, and, have- and and another project that I wrote uh, called The Haunted Palace, which is a, a near futuristic uh, adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe.
0: Ah, so you're a okay. post
1: then? Yeah, very much. Very much. Great, great.
0: Well, Ernest, I want to thank you for spending this time with us. And I'm looking forward to seeing that dream project of yours on the screen.
1: I will let you know how it goes.
0: Absolutely. So be well and be safe.
1: Thank you, man. I was. One, thank you for letting me do this.
0: One, Absolutely. Two, three, thank you for, for doing this with us.
1: Have okay. a good one. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Tune in next time for another conversation with our guest who'll share their Newark, New Jersey cultural journey. If you'd like to share your Newark, New Jersey story, go to our website and submit your unique journey on our contact page. Again, I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I look forward to sharing these fascinating Newark, New Jersey conversations with you sometime soon. So long and be well.